This episode is being sponsored by First Response Pregnancy. They are fervently committed to supporting, sharing, and empowering all pregnancy journeys and providing accurate information, especially to those struggling with infertility, loss of a baby, and maternal health inequities. This episode is brought to you by Donor Egg Bank USA. Let them help you on your path to parenthood. Top ranked by physicians, they have one of the highest clinical pregnancy rates in the industry. Their assured refund plan guarantees you bring home a baby or receive a 100% refund. Visit DonorEggBankUSA.com for restrictions and further details. I was getting to the point in our journey where I was very concerned we were never going to have a child, right? And that seems scary to me. Hi, everyone. It's Olympic figure skater and broadcaster Tara Lipinski, and you're listening to Unexpecting. I started this podcast with my husband and now co-host Todd to bear it all about my untold five-year and often excruciating journey with infertility. The goal is simple, to take this taboo subject and demystify it, to normalize these important conversations, and hopefully to find answers. Nothing is off limits, and over the course of the series, we'll unpack my fertility mystery, the trauma we've endured, and hopefully offer those struggling alongside of us some valuable insight. So laugh and cry with us as we ride this unimaginable fertility roller coaster, hopefully toward a brighter day. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you know someone struggling with fertility, tell them about this podcast. Because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. Hi guys, I'm Tara Lipinski. And this is Todd Kapasashi. And you are listening to the eighth episode of Unexpected. Eight. Boy, oh boy. We're, we're getting up there. We really are. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the doldrums of yeah. the lipinski Kabastashi <laughs> fertility journey. Is it time to take stock, Tara? What have you learned over the last seven episodes of Unexpecting? Anything stand out to you? Yeah. You know, I thought this was just going to be us telling our story. And I feel like it's really something that I will always remember of me and you doing this together And I feel like it's been this intimate, I feel so bonded and connected to you when we walk away from these sessions. It's like therapy. Should we let people in on our pre-game ritual? Yes. Okay. So in, well, I think in sports in general, right? People have little goodies and- Goodies. Goodies. That's what we call it in skating. Like a good luck thing you do before, like a high five and a this and or that. Goodies. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a goodie. Um, Johnny and Terry and I have a goodie before we go on air. So we had one and ours is like, we put our little thumbs together like this. We touch our, the yeah, points of our kissing. thumbs together. <laughs> I, I didn't come up with this goodie. Tara did. No, but it's actually, you know, it's funny guys. It's actually, um, now we could do like couples <laughs> talk here, but do you know where this started from? The little thumb thing is like, say that we're like frustrated or tired or like someone says something snappy like to quickly turn it around. Like we offer each other a little <laughs> thumb tap. We have many of those yeah, mechanisms, <laughs> which I think, you know, those are great things for couples to have. To, I love them. They make you, me laugh. You get in a little spat and then you just do something silly or dumb <laughs> yes. to just like turn the tide. It's like, usually, why didn't you put the garbage out? And then we get a little thumb tap. Usually I'm the one who's like offering the, the, well, the, yeah, the that's olive what I, branch. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, because I'm always messing up and then doing like the thumb out <laughs> for forgiveness, please. Just, yes. Yeah, but it works it's pretty cute. Yeah. So in the last episode of Unexpecting, episode seven, 
we ended on a, a good note. We got an embryo from that transfer. Um, and then again, this might be a little confusing to listeners, but we decided to do another retrieval right after this and do what's called a frozen transfer. So right. just explain what that is and why we decided why to we do decided. that. So there was a little hiccup after the Olympics because I think we were thinking of a few different avenues, whether we'd go right into a transfer, which would have been ideal. But while we were prepping, I had, a, you know, in the weeds, a leftover too large of a follicle that screwed everything up. So we were set off for another month and we had to wait. And talking to Dr. Beck, we really were trying to figure out, okay, Dr. Beck, like <laughs> this next one has got to work. What do we do? And we kind of made just sort of a last minute change. And she's like, you know, we've done a natural transfer where it's like three weeks of medicine before we put in an embryo. We've done the frozen transfer, which is like two months with a certain Lupron drug. We've done it all. We've done it natural. <laughs> right. So she's like, I'd like to try a retrieval. Well, you're forgetting. We have tried it all, including a horrific uh, <laughs> yes. timed intercourse. Yes. We've tried everything. <laughs> and she's like, I'd like to just do a different setup where your body is naturally getting ready for a retrieval and then five days later, after the retrieval, it's going to be timed perfectly where we will put in not a fresh embryo that you get from that retrieval, but one of your frozen embryos. And we'll see if your body adapts to that. So I was like, okay, so another <laughs> retrieval. But I was also like, I don't want to give myself another shot if you pay me. But we went through it and we started our next retrieval. So what were... The results. Let's just get to it, man. Right. What were the results of that retrieval? So the retrieval went well. Obviously, this was going to be way different than anything we had ever done before. On day five after a retrieval, we were going to come in because that's when your body is going to be ready to accept an embryo. And we were taking one of our frozen embryos from our earlier cycle, a little dude mixing it up this time. And we walked in on day five. We got the news. Oh, you have four embryos that are being sent out for genetic testing and get ready to suit up for your transfer. And just to jump ahead a little bit, because it the timeline doesn't really matter, honestly, but we got we ended up getting out of those four we sent off, we got one more genetic, genetically tested embryo, which was a boy. Yes, we got another another little dude. Yeah. So we found that out later. But we we're doing a transfer that day on day five. Um, and what was the reasoning behind putting in a boy? I I think at that point, I mean, again, it's like you think crazy thoughts. You're like, does my body not want to accept a girl embryo because we've lost a lot? So I just thought, you know what? Put in, put in a boy. I'm ready to be a boy mom. I do remember too that this this transfer was different, not only because we were trying a frozen transfer, but I think the office at that point had sort of rallied around you in a in a very sweet way where they saw how many losses you had had and they were really, truly, genuinely, I mean, I'm sure they care about everyone's journey who goes in there and they create relationships yes. with people, but it seems like you had been in the office so much that- I lived there. Yeah, but all <laughs> the staff really kind of, especially this transfer, I think everyone kind of thought maybe weirdly, the staff this thought is this is like the one. Yes, I think, you know, the new protocol, you know, the clinic, Dr. Beck's record, like this is not normal. Usually by the second transfer, you're hitting- the jackpot. And I mean, this time also, I just kept saying to myself, cause I would read the stats and the stat is by the third transfer, you have a 96% chance of it working if you're using genetically normal embryos. So in my mind, I was like, no matter how lucky we have been, like yeah. 
96% of people nail it on this one. So I think I had a lot of hope too. And I think the clinic just realized like, wow, like they're really hitting the wrong side of luck. And they also started to almost like break protocol because obviously you have to keep, you know, professionalism is not the word because they're all professional there, but you know, the code, code. of not sort of rooting for people outwardly because you never know what's going to happen. But these nurses sort of, I remember them, they came back with like balloons. Oh right? my goodness. It was so, it was so sweet. I'll never, ever, ever forget this. It was Dina, Megan and Erica and they were my gals there. And in the transfer area, people really can't go back there. Remember, you couldn't go back there. There's strict protocol. You can't bring food. All of a sudden, I'm laying there right after we had the transfer. And the three of them pop in with flowers, a balloon, McDonald's French fries, because if you know, you know, those are the, the lucky fries you should eat after a transfer. That's part of the IVF uh, good luck charm. But they were there for me and I had a little card from them and like tears are running down my face. And it just was, yeah, they were really, really supportive and I needed that. So we go in for the transfer that day, obviously together we're suiting up in our hazmat suits. Um, And if you remember from a previous episode, we talked about another couple sort of playing music before one of their transfers and kind of wondering what their story was and not knowing and wondering how long they've been at it and all that. And what's not that it's sad, but we then kind of heard them play their song. So on this transfer, again, thinking that this could be the one we played our wedding song as we were kind of preparing for it, which was fun. It was we while we were in there, while Dr. Beck is actually putting our embryo in, we played our wedding song. My friend Jill gave me a fertility stone that's on my chest. I felt like Dr. Beck was, you know, we were all just like, this has got to be the one. Yeah, and I think, too, it's like we keep saying it and it's kind of sad, but like we thought this was the one like I I think we, again, both were realistic about things, but it sort of felt like we're doing a new protocol, which was weirdly fun and hopeful, like all the nurses seem to think it was probably going to work. There's a 96 percent chance after three it's going to work. Right. We're playing our wedding song. So we were definitely (laughs) the wedding song was definitely going to do it. We were definitely hopeful (laughs) for, for this one, though. Yeah, no, we were. So the dreaded day five testing and, you know, all the testing that was going to happen. Just so take me through after the transfer, you know, the testing that you did and what the results kind of were. So day five, took out the good old pregnancy stick and it was Mother's Day. Yeah, I was just going to say it was Mother's Day. And this was so symbolic for me. I just sort of felt like, oh my gosh, this is meant to be. This is like, we've been through hell and I'm going to quote unquote, become a mother this day. And I was so hopeful for this. And, you know, I've been through a few Mother's Days that were really hard. I think Mother's Day is one of those holidays for the infertility community that is just difficult. You know, you are so happy to celebrate your own mother and your friends that are mothers. But it is hard when you open up Instagram that day because there's nothing other than posts of you know, Mother's Day. Yeah, it just reminds you that you're not a mother yet. And it reminds you that you're not a mother. You don't feel worthy to have that title. And even though, in a way, I was a mama several times through these miscarriages, I still didn't earn that title. You know, I wasn't worthy of that title. And um, I think that, you know, you get on the group chats with your friends and you are seeing all the pictures exchanged and you just sort of feel like, wow, like, I just don't deserve to be part of this. 
And that day was really hard for me because when I tested, I didn't really see a line. I was, I saw like the faintest, faintest of lines, but it's really hard to explain. But because of the the way we did this retrieval, I took medicine that would also make a line show. But I knew that this line needed to be way darker on day five and it wasn't there. And I just knew, like I, I'm a pro at this now and I just knew it wasn't a good sign. And then that was hard to sort of get on my phone that day, call my own mother who knew that I was going through this and have to tell her, like, it's not looking good again. And, you know, I I will just say this. I think it's so important. I now see this happening. A lot of companies will send you emails before Mother's Day to opt out of Mother's Day emails and notifications to like protect your heart. And I think it's the sweetest gesture and probably, you know, makes such a huge difference for so many people. But anyways, our Mother's Day was a little bit of a bummer. Yeah, it's just cruel timing. And, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast yet, but to your point of like, oh, what a symbolic day for this to happen. And if it happens on this day, then it's like meant to be. And I always find that thinking like interesting, not to, I'm not saying your thinking is wrong there. And I don't know if you actually think that it would be meant to be if it was on Mother's Day, but yeah, who knows? <laughs> I always just sort of think like, yeah, if it would have happened, if we would have gotten pregnant on that day, then it's meant to be. And the universe wanted us yeah. to have a baby and like, oh my gosh, the way the world works, it's so amazing. We got a positive pregnancy test on Mother's Day. Oh my gosh. But like, then when it doesn't happen, it's just like, oh, another failure. So it's like, it's only meant to be if it happens. Right. I, I, and I think when it doesn't happen on these days, it's like really cruel. You know what I mean? It's like, I remember it's just all the mom, mother, mama things. Remember that that store where it, in the little village where we live, they're, you know, getting ready for Mother's Day. I, I loved this sweatshirt and it just said mama. It was at Jen, My- it's at Jen Meyer's jewelry store. And it's just like, I would walk by it and I'd be like, when can I earn that? Like, when can I wear that? And it's just so the Mother's Day thing, this happening on that day just kind of felt like, all right, universe, you win. I don't know what to do. So, you know, as a the great husband that I am, because I always, I, I'm sensing when you're, you're emotional <laughs> and you're not feeling well and we have this day five squinter, that's not really one. And I could tell you were down and I said, Todd, what can you do to cheer up your wife? And so I said, you know what, let's, we're in the house just talking about fertility. Let's, let's go see a movie just to, you know, make you feel better. Um, so how'd that go? Todd, <laughs> you, you pick the movies in yeah. our household. Do you yes. know Todd has, I mean, he's a director, he's a movie buff. He just, and he loves independent films, which I love too. Sometimes his tastes can be a little different than mine, but overall, I think we're pretty compatible. And when you choose them, I let you choose the movies in our relationship. Like that is just how it's always been. And I usually love them and we have so much to talk about and it's great. And then he takes me and I trust him because I let him choose every time I trust him. Well, he chose the Northman and I didn't, I didn't look cause I trust him. I know that like he realizes I give him that privilege and nope, nope. We went to this movie guys. It was by far. First of all, let me interrupt you. Okay, I didn't, I saw the trailer and they made this movie. Also, I love that director. He directed like The Lighthouse, which people know it's a really cool, interesting movie. And so I was like, oh, this director is great. And then I saw the trailer and it felt like kind of Game of Thrones. He had huge stars in it. Like, um, 
What's her name's in it? Okay, don't try. No, but to- who's the person who does the intro for the movies that now everyone Nicole laughs at? Kidman. Nicole Kidman. Yes. Nicole Kidman's in it. The Sarsgaard guy who's an I love that. I understand. That. They I were love great. Him. I know, but you looked at this trailer and you were like, I am going to take Tara to see this movie to cheer her up. So yeah. we went to see this and it was, I mean, I feel, I feel really bad for anyone associated with this movie, but it is by far the worst movie no, I've I, ever seen in my life. First of all, that that's wrong. That's false. It's, I feel bad, but it really was. <laughs> so the anger, like what I'll say about you, this is a hundred percent a compliment, a hundred percent. You are so awesome in this. Like if I do something wrong, like I notice this with other couples where if the husband does something wrong, which where he's not meaning to do anything wrong. I can see like wives or, you know, girlfriends like get mad irrationally. You can let him know that that right. he made a mistake without like being like really angry and yeah. mean. You've never done that. When I make mistakes, you sort of, we laugh it off and you get over it. That's like one of my favorite things about you. This is literally the one time, <laughs> the one time in our relationship where you were like, like pissed at me. I was. Like you wouldn't look at me. You wouldn't talk to me. Well, we sit in this movie, guys. And, and so again, God, like- It's violent. So just so everyone knows. And I'm, it's not like I'm really adverse to, I mean, I don't, it's not like I like violence, but you know, I, you know, I've watched Game of Thrones. It's not like I'm so picky with that. This movie, you, we sit down and again, because I trust him, I didn't look at the trailer. I didn't do anything. So we sit down and it is just like, remember that scene where they were like, pretending to be dogs and like <laughs> the the violence and the, the killing sprees were just, it was just one. I couldn't like, I couldn't watch this movie. It was so. But you were sitting there with your arms crossed. Like, like I would try to talk to you and you kind of didn't re- again, stuff you never do, like would not respond to me, but right. I, I kind of understand. It's like, we just had this dramatic day <laughs> and then you probably want to go see like a lighter film. Or and even we, just we're like, sitting in this just something that wasn't that like it was I think I then decided to go to sleep. You slept through the second half of it. <laughs> and I was so pumped that you had just fallen asleep. Yeah, so I was like, because I was getting <laughs> agitated. I was yeah. like, we need to go. And the movie only got more weird and violent. <laughs> <It> was- <laughs> Last thing I'll say about The Northman, though, I personally didn't like, if I'm being honest about like my taste, like I like the director. I like other things he's done. Like that wasn't my favorite movie, but I it was like, it was a movie you shouldn't take your wife to see when she's like struggling well, with no, I trauma. Mean, for, yeah, like literally <laughs> probably about to start a miscarriage. My hormones are all over the place. Also, by the way, like, you know, I was taking progesterone support suppositories, which long story, they weren't quite dissolving. So my doctor's like, oh, you have to walk 10 minutes after you do it. So I'm like taking my medicine to the theater and then I have to get up and walk in the back of the theater for 10 minutes. And I'm like, watching this and I'm like, this is why we left the house. Like take me back to my couch and just like leave me there. This is not fun. Well, the Northman, it's funny, has become like a joke in our family where if, you know, we're going to a movie and you're like, this better not be another Northman. Northman. (laughs) Now I'm a little wary of you. (laughs) But now I feel bad. That movie is like, it, it has merit. A creative merit. It I, just yeah, wasn't I don't want to make anyone feel bad, but it was, I don't know, maybe it was the hormones, but it just felt very violent <laughs> <laughs> and upsetting. You were not happy. No. So we have our Northman mishap, but then oddly, day six, our testing kind of turned around, right? A little bit? No, I mean, on day five, I saw that faint line. Now, yes, that could have been, like I said, the medicine. And on day six, there could have been nothing. But I had that gut feeling. I told you that. I'm like, the same thing's happening, Todd. I know it without a doubt. That faint line is coming up. I'm going to be pregnant. 
and it's not going to be good. It's not going to be strong and it's not going to hold. And day six, then the line got a little darker, but again, not where it needs to be. And I think that, you know, at that point I was so, this sounds awful, but like I was so scared of another miscarriage and everything that comes along with it, the weeks and the the anxiety, the limbo of it. I just kept praying like, please, and I feel awful saying this, but like, please let me have a chemical miscarriage. Please let this be a chemical because I had never had one, but that is in your bloodstream. So when that goes away, it's a much shorter process and it just sort of ends and you don't have to go through the traumatic procedures. And I just was praying. I text my girlfriend who also has been going through IVF and she had uh, many different miscarriages and we both agreed the limbo of these miscarriages that just don't make it weeks in will drive you insane. It will give you the most anxiety you will ever experience. It is just horrific. And I just wanted it over. I'm like, if it's not going to happen, don't make me go through this pain. Like, please don't make me spend the next four weeks doing this, five weeks doing this. And this is the time too, where I think you know, we talked about a lot in the last episode about testing and what it all means and people yeah. taking one test and throwing it out and that's it for them. Yeah. But like, there's a culture in this world of just testing two, three times a day and, and staring line at, progression and line progressions and staring at these tests. And I think, you know, sadly, this is like where you really started to buy out the stores of tests and take a lot of tests. I would test twice in the morning and I would do First P, second P. So my second P was always stronger. Um, I tested at night and I realized night testing was not for me. So I would do two. Um, but I think this is when, you know, you know, I was following someone on Instagram. Remember I showed you this because you were like, what is with the testing? And I always loved her because she went through so many losses, so much trauma. And she explained how it really helped her to do this testing at home. And she would show the line progression of like, she would test like four or five times a day. And remember I would go to you and I'd say like, see Todd, like I don't test that much. And I felt like proud of myself somehow. But anyway, yes, I was like going to CVS and buying out like every first response pregnancy test. It got so bad that like I would go to several of our local pharmacies and I would buy it out. And then I'd go to the next one. I'd be like, crap, there's, they still didn't restock since I've been there like last Tuesday. And the, I mean, it was only me buying these pregnancy <laughs> tests. And I was like, sh- sh- there's a shortage of well, them. Well, I feel like also, I don't know if you remember this, you like Instacarted or like Postmates tests once. And the guy actually called you and was like, hey, I think you made a mistake. You have like nine, an order for nine pregnancy tests. Like, so like, I'll just get the one. No mistake, sir. <laughs> nine it is. <laughs> then one time I remember this, you sent me out one day to get a bunch of tests and you and I was like, how many do you want me to get? And you're like, six, however many <laughs> they got. So I remember going up to the cashier and like holding all these tests and the guy's probably wondering like, what is up with this guy? Is this like <laughs> Nick Cannon's assistant or something? Like, why is this guy buying 10 pregnancy tests? Like, it just makes me laugh. But look, the reason I wanted to take these tests is because I think with all the failure and loss, it helped me. It was a tool to give me some control and to give me some idea of what was happening. Because I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I took so many pregnancy tests throughout this journey and they are so accurate. (laughs) No, no, no. The six day early ones, my IVF infertility community, you know what I'm talking about. They are very, very accurate. And to the, the degree that 
I would tell you, I would go in for my beta eventually and I'd be like, looking on my test, it's going to be a 65 or it's going to be a 120 or it's going to be a 310. And I would be just like a few numbers off. It was crazy how I was able to read these tests. Yeah. Yeah, And one last thing about the pregnancy tests is, you know, it, it eventually became interestingly like the cover art for this podcast. But I one day saw you on our couch in sort of a fetal position, just clutching two pregnancy tests. And it was like the saddest thing. Cause I think you were just exhausted. You probably were had, I guarantee this is what happened. You were on the couch, anxious, depressed, probably staring at these pregnancy tests, looking for a line and got tired and sort of fell asleep, but you were like clutching these things. And you know, it's just, it was sad. And it's like where we got to with these tests and the testing. Yeah. I mean, it really was those, cause the, the day before and the day of test, you would want to see that the line is darker than the one before. And so I would constantly be checking that. So it's just, it, it is looking back like, uh, just seems like a hazy time of those weeks. And that's why I say these miscarriages, the way that they happened were so, they just felt so cruel. They really did. I just wanted it over. I was just like, it's awful, but I was just like, let this end like this. We can't do it again. And now a quick word from our sponsors. First Response is fervently committed to supporting, sharing, and empowering all pregnancy journeys and provide accurate information, especially to those struggling with infertility, loss of a baby, and maternal health inequities. First Response knows that when testing for pregnancy, you want to be sure of your result. That's why they created Comfort Check, a pregnancy test kit that helps you test confidently and conveniently. The First Response Comfort Check Pregnancy Test Kit is a value pack containing eight total tests, three First Response Early Result Tests, and five First Response Pregnancy Test Strips, allowing women to test early and often for added reassurance. First Response's Early Result Test included in the Comfort Check Kit is their number one best-selling pregnancy test. It detects all major forms of the pregnancy hormone commonly found in urine and is over 99% accurate from the day of your expected period with results ready to be read in just three minutes. The First Response Comfort Check Pregnancy Test Kit is available for purchase in-store and online. Be sure to pick one up today. Kat Schneider built the company Ritual while she was pregnant. And the reason why is because she couldn't find a prenatal that she trusted. Thank goodness she did. I personally researched so many different prenatal vitamins on my quest to find the perfect option for me. And the winner was the Essential for Women prenatal. I knew that I could rely upon this prenatal for all of my pregnancy needs, plus all of my nutrient needs during my long journey with IVF. There are so many things to like about the Essential for Women prenatal, like the fact that it contains 350 milligrams vegan, sustainably sourced omega-3 DHA, to support baby's brain development during pregnancy. Things can be difficult on the road to pregnancy and during pregnancy. So I especially loved when it came to my prenatal, I had peace of mind. It was something I could trust. So why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Ritual is offering my listeners 30% off during your first month. Visit ritual.com slash Tara to start ritual or add essential for women prenatal to your subscription today. I wanted to give you a little more information about Receptiva DX. 
I feel very lucky that I was able to take this test and remove some of the mystery out of my own fertility journey. A diagnosis of unexplained infertility is difficult. Miscarriage is traumatic. So I'm thankful there is a test like Receptiva DX that can provide some insight and answers that many people are desperately seeking. Receptiva DX is a powerful test that can help detect inflammatory conditions on the uterine lining that might be preventing you from becoming pregnant or staying pregnant. If you have experienced implantation failure or recurrent pregnancy loss, ask your doctor about Receptiva DX testing. If found, uterine inflammation can be treated, providing a new pathway to achieving a successful pregnancy. Treatment options can improve the chances for a successful live birth fivefold. To learn more, please visit Receptiva DX or ask your doctor if this test is right for you. So our normal progression up to this point had been beta hell numbers doubling, but didn't seem like they were quite high enough. And then we get through the gestational scan, fine. And then we get to the heartbeat scan. Obviously there wouldn't be a heartbeat, but this go around, it was similar in, in that numbers doubling, but just didn't seem quite high enough. And then the gestational scan was different this time, right? Yes, correct. So our numbers always doubled. And anyone listening, that is the most important part. Even if you start off low, if you're doubling, you're usually looking good. But for us, for some reason, by the time we got to the heartbeat scan, it wasn't there. And the gestational scan usually was a hopeful time for us. And so she looked at the scan and she's like, there it is. There's your pregnancy. Everything looks good, except it looks like it could be a corneal pregnancy. And there's all different types of dangerous pregnancies, like an ectopic pregnancy, which can be life-threatening. But this is as well. And it's where the embryo implants into the upper and lateral part of the uterus, which can become dangerous. And the one thing I really appreciate about Dr. Beck is I always felt like she was watching out for my own personal health. She never took chances with that. She was you know, just eagle eyes on on every part of that. And she said, okay, Tara, I want you to go see a high, I'm going to leave the room. I'm going to call the doctor. I need you to go right now to a high-risk OB, um, Dr. Platt, and I need him to look at this and let me know what he thinks. And I just remember thinking like, what the fuck? Like, what else? What are the chances of this now, you know? And I went into the car, you weren't with me, and I called you and I was like, uh, all right, I'm going to need to have to go to Dr. Platt and see if this is a coronal pregnancy. Which is so crazy that like, you know, we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but you had, <laughs> again, I don't know what, if it's a diagnosed, what are you smiling at? <laughs> he likes to call me a hypochondriac guys, but he that's an exaggerated we, health anxiety. A worry wart, we're calling it on the <laughs> podcast, I guess. I'll say it again. Okay, you're a bit of a worry wart, but no, but honestly, like you would be stressed out a lot about health issues, which probably a million reasons why. Right. But like, it's crazy for me to think about your reaction to this news from Dr. Beck like three years ago. Like you would have been in full blown panic, like panic mode, honestly. And I don't mean that as like, oh, Tara, so no, I would have been crazy. calling like, oh, she can't handle the whatever. No, like th this is if you're told maybe there's a problem with the pregnancy or if it's life threatening, like, of course, you're going to be nervous. And you, especially a bunch of years ago, would have flipped out and called me and made me show up and all this right. stuff. 
this time when you called me, you were just kind of like, yeah, Dr. Beck says I have this. I have to go see a high risk <laughs> doctor. And uh, I'm like, okay, do you want me? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. And you're like, no, it's okay. Like I'm going to go. Yeah. Like, you had just gotten to the point where it was just so much stuff and you couldn't, you didn't have the energy to worry about all this. I didn't anymore. care anymore. Like literally it just got to the point where it was like, this is a joke. And then it's true. I remember I called my friend Deb and I, and she's like, let me, let me take you. And I was like, no, I'm good. And it really is funny. We talk about the health anxiety. I laugh about it. Somehow fertility has like helped cure. This it really, part of it me. really, really has. That's gone. Yeah. It's literally gone. It's gone. Now. It like literally changed everything. Cause I think I hit every sort of like anxiety inducing possible thing that could go wrong in a fertility journey. And I, I mean, I was at this point, what was I under like 20 times already? It's just like, all right. But so, think about it. You told a story about like neon pee. Like you almost right. didn't go to the Emmys because of that. Like right. that would never, ever, ever happen yeah. today. No. And I just so drove crazy. there. I was like, and to be honest, I was like, I mean, do I really have to go right now, Dr. Beck? Like, is it, <laughs> is it that urgent? She's like, yeah, can you please go? And I'm like, all right. So I just like drove in a daze to, to Dr. Platt's and um, luckily he thought that it was not going to be anything dangerous and that we would continue seeing where the pregnancy went. Yeah. So we get through that little mini scare and then we go to a, a short time later to the heartbeat scan. Just take me through that heartbeat scan. Yeah. It just was the worst. You go into that room and it felt like deja vu. And I feel like I've said this, and you know, how many times have I said this? And it just was the same thing, the searching. And then I'm so sorry, there is no fetal heartbeat. And it was just at this point, you know, like I, I, the first couple ones, it was like holding back tears and upset. I just numb. Just like, I felt like I just sat there. I didn't even know what to say. It was just like, I've got nothing. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, honestly, this one was more anger than anything. I was just like, this fucking sucks. You know, like nothing's changing. We're doing the same thing. We're getting the same result. And I was just like angry that we were having to go through this, especially having you were having to go through all this. And it was just, I was pissed. Yeah. I just, I was not, I was just numb. It was, it was really this miscarriage, this third miscarriage just felt so different than the others. You know, this one felt like I lost, it was just like lost emotion, like couldn't even find it, was hurting so bad, but it was like, it was so buried deep or something that I don't even know if tears came out. Yeah. I mean, it's weird to say and I don't know if I've even told you this, I feel like this was the first one where I think the, all the other ones and even all the other failures, not even just the miscarriages, but all the other failures, it was always sort of like, okay, I know Tara's going to be so upset. And obviously you're going through this way more than I am. I'm like, you know, in the sidecar of the motorcycle, you know, for most of this. So I'm just thinking, how can I support Tara? And how are we going to sort of get through this and, and keep going? I think this was the first one where I like, you called or, you know, I guess you came back in, the car. I just remember wanting to like throw, like I was physically angry. Yeah. Like I wanted to punch something yeah. for the first time. It was yeah. like, I was finally like, okay, 
I'm, I, I didn't want to be the Mr. Hopeful anymore. I think I was always the like, right. Oh, the stick, like we'll get it. The HCG, yeah. Oh, the HCG is doubling. See, like, we'll be fine. Yeah. Like, Oh, the gestational scan went well. Like I see, I told you so. Yeah. Now I was just like, fuck this. Yeah. Like this isn't working. Yeah. I'm so tired of this and I'm mad. And yes, I still want to try to support you, but like, this is, this is, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. And there was no answers. And like, what were, I felt like we were on some, like, we were in like those mazes, those Halloween. The hay mazes. Yes. And I was like, I feel like that's just our life and it's awful. And I just, I couldn't get out. (laughs) And it was just like the first time. I just feel like I didn't talk. I mean, you can tell I I talk a lot. (laughs) I just feel like I just went home and was just like silent. Yeah. I mean, you know, those like those scenes in movies that have become somewhat cliche, but it's where someone gets news or they've had a bad day at work or whatever. And they go in their car and they start pounding on the steering (laughs) wheel and screaming. I honestly feel like when you got the no heartbeat news and you probably called instantly and told me that's like what I did because I was just like so angry at that point and pissed off. That makes me sad for you because it's just like, again, it's just weird, you know, it's all happening to me. And then we unite you know, afterwards, but that heartbeat scan is really, I think it is a really for, I don't know how you feel, but that day, all of those days, the heartbeat scan is by far the most traumatizing thing of the journey for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I I feel like what's interesting. Do you feel it even in the room? I feel like it, like it, it takes me right back to that feeling. And it's almost like it takes all the energy out of you. And I like, um, I remember what it felt like during this time where it's just like, I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna, I don't know. Yeah. My easygoingness sort of evaporated, I think around this time. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. We're going to kind of segue here, but I think it's like the perfect segue. Cause we are, we were obviously down in this moment and another no heartbeat scan. Um, but I think we've tried on the podcast to be aware of perspective mm-hmm. and that a lot of people are going through right. really tough things and and frankly tougher things than oh, well, a no yeah, heartbeat scan. Yeah, 100%. And I think the perfect example of this which is I know you're going to get emotional probably talking about this but at the time one of our really really you know someone who we got to know really well and become close friends with her and her husband she had terminal cancer when you met her actually. Mm-hmm. Um well you can tell the story. Basically a uh, uh, a friend of her name's Holly mm-hmm. and a friend of Holly's reached out to you and said, Oh, Holly's like a skating fan and like loves you. And could you just do like a little message yeah, for so her? This girl, Elizabeth, who's now a close friend of mine reached out to me and was like, Hey, this is my best friend. Will you do this video message for her? She's, you know, just been diagnosed with cancer and you know, she was 37 years old and I did that. And somehow she wrote back in a video message. I know you're getting upset too. I know. And she's just like the best. And um, she wrote back and we became fast friends. I talked to her every day. It was just like one of those things, right? Like where you just connected. It was this weird way that we met and the three of us and Holly every day talked. And it was what, two, two, three years, maybe three years of a friendship. And I had watched her go through hell, like literal hell. Like if we thought we were in hell, we were in heaven. And like you guys went wig shopping together. Yeah. Like when she had to, to shave her head, we went wig shopping and, um, 
you know, I just remember during this time and she was so sweet. She was so there for me because I felt like I really couldn't, you know, I wanted to fill her in on my life, but I didn't want to tell her that this was a struggle. Yeah. You really, you actually struggled with that. Cause I you couldn't. Would, and she'd be like, be like, please oh, tell it's, me it's fine. It's what? fine. Like yeah. everything's fine. And I actually had another friend that was struggling through cancer and I struggled with the same thing because I was like, I am not going to tell you about an embryo we lost. Like that is so dumb. And, um, but she wanted to be part of my life. So like she, you know, I would fill her in enough for her to, to be invested. And I just think like when she died, you know, the few days before, like, I don't know. I just think like you realize, again, we talk about it. You just realize the levels of things. And it really just, to be honest, helped me whenever I thought of our own journey, because it really was nothing in comparison to what she went through. And, you know, you know, we know Mark, her husband, and, you know, I just like now thinking back to all the dinners we had with them and they, they came to visit and just like this beautiful spirit left so young, way too short of a life. And she was just the best. Yeah. And I, so I think the reason we bring up Holly a is because it's great to talk about her. Yeah. She was so awesome. Um, but B too, it just offered perspective into our journey. It's like, we talk so much about our journey and we were a little bit down in the dumps about so much stuff, but then you do get perspective when something like that happens. And you do realize that life is so unfair to so many people. It's so unfair to so many people in so many different ways. And there's just sometimes no break for, you know, like she kind of hit remission and then it like came right back at her. Like, it's just these cruel moments. And that is like real shit, not what we were going through. And I think also it made me have bigger life because I think I was getting to the point in our journey where I was very concerned we were never possibly going to have a child. Right. And that seems scary to me. And I think her story helped me realize that if we didn't, that it still was a blessing that I am alive, that it was still a blessing that we're married and together. And, you know, it made me think differently about if our life was kidless. Yeah. So this would have been our third miscarriage after that heartbeat scan. This is a point where I think, and you could speak to this, is, you know, I actually started probably getting more of this than you did because it was probably less touchy to talk to me about it. But I started to hear people say, hey, well, Todd, have you guys thought about surrogacy? Like, I think people started pushing surrogacy on us at that point. Yes. I think it was like the topic of conversation now of like, you know, you should try surrogacy. I even had a friend who had someone call me and she used a surrogate and she went through hell with IVF. She gets on the phone with me. She tells me a story that's so similar to mine. And one of those just crazy stories. And she's like, I finally went to a, you know, I finally went the surrogacy route and it was the best decision ever. And, you know, I just wasn't in the right space for that phone call because I was like wanting to tell her our story and have her, well, give me information. What do you think could be wrong? What could I do next to fix this? And instead she was just like, 
no, no, no. Don't even tell me that. Like, just go to, like, I thought I couldn't do the surrogate route too. Like, I thought that wasn't for me. Just do a surrogate. I'm telling you, it's the best thing you'll ever do. Like, don't think twice. And I was like, no, no, no. But what do you think? Do you think I need to see, a, you know, an immune doctor and we should do some testing? And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, just do the surrogate. And I would like hung up and I remember being a little upset because I was like, wait, that's not what I wanted this phone call to be about. Just explain why at that point, something like surrogacy was even hard to talk about, let alone commit to or even start investigating. Yeah, I don't know if I can quite explain why I just wanted to experience pregnancy. I wanted this elusive thing that for some reason we just couldn't do and we got so close and I'd be pregnant for weeks and I just wanted it to continue. I wanted to push through. I don't think, I don't know, I mean, the athlete thing where it was like work hard enough, don't give up. The next one could be it. And I just, I knew you at this point because we've had, you know, we would talk about it obviously and I knew you didn't care, but like I just still cared so much to be pregnant. Like, I, I mean, I put my body through hell. Like I was never the type of person that was worried about, Oh, like what would pregnancy be like? Would it be too hard? Would it be not fun? Would it change my body? Like I want, I want, I feel like if you could have taken me to like a, you know, like a ceremony outside and like game of Thrones where they like <laughs> offer up goats for like becoming pregnant. Like I would have done any ritualistic dance, sacrificed any goat to be pregnant. Like that's how bad I wanted it. Well, also we, it's worth mentioning, we hadn't gotten really confirmation that you couldn't carry a baby. So I think that was part of it too. I think if someone was like, Hey, here's some definitive, you know, reasons why you will never carry a pregnancy, look into surrogacy. I think we both would have been like, Oh, okay, cool. Like, let's have a baby. Right. Like we were still scared. We would never have a baby. We did. We, I think at that point too, I was probably even like, well, if we get a surrogate, like what's to what's going to happen in the surrogate? Yeah. That wasn't what we were thinking about. It wasn't like, oh, Terry, you have a problem. It was like, you know, we have a very good doctor that is saying like, I will tell you yeah. if there is a problem. And she was talking to us and she's like, there is no problem. Like your body is receiving these embryos, your beautiful uterine lining, you have like all your numbers, all your blood work, everything, all the embryos are good. Like I'm, you know, I would tell you. So I feel like, you know, everyone should keep that in mind of like wondering like, wait, why are we just doing this over and over again? It's because we had doctors, you know, testing us, watching us and telling us like, there is no problem. You yeah. should be able to do this. Yeah. One other thing that I find about surrogacy to be like really interesting conversation. Um, and I really do think it affected the way I thought about surrogacy, like right at the beginning of our journey. I think if you would ask me like, hey, Todd, at some point I'm I can see the future and you guys are going to have to get a surrogate or going to get a surrogate. I would have been like I would have kind of cringed because there is this very unfair stigma, I think, around surrogacy. I think it's, there's a lot of reasons for it. Probably it's obviously expensive. I think, you know, there is a celebrity culture around a lot of big celebrities will get surrogates and you kind of, you never necessarily know why is it because they have major problems? Mm -hmm. Is it because they just don't want to necessarily go, through, go, go pregnancy. through pregnancy? You don't know, but I think it's become in society, this thing of like, Oh, like they got a surrogate. And right. it's always, I think the public always thinks because, Oh, well they're like famous and they have a lot of money and they just don't want to do pregnancy. Right. So I personally felt so bad for you as we started to get some of this pressure. Cause I was like, gosh, like I know 
I mean, Tara's been on bathroom floors, yeah. <laughs> clutching pregnancy tests, crying about this stuff. And then it's going to come out that she got a surrogate and everyone's going to be like, oh, another celebrity pays the expensive right. fee to get a surrogate right. and because she didn't want to be pregnant. And I knew that to be like the opposite, opposite yeah. of what it is. And unfortunately, I think probably the stigmas exist maybe for a reason. Maybe there are some right. people and who who just don't want to go through pregnancy right. and that's fine. fine. They can make that decision hundred percent. No. But that was not mine. I mean, yeah. I would have given up at all, you know, I just wanted to do it for us so badly. I also felt that pressure for us. I was like, I just, I got to do this for us. And I think like there was just no talking about it because look, if you look at our journey, I think it was like, think of what Dr. Beck was saying, like, oh, that, that one could have been endo. Oh, that one could have been the protocol. That one could have been this. Like, well, then this just could have been luck and the next one works. Like when you are talking about it now, it sounds crazy, you know, how many, but when you're going through it, you're like, oh, maybe this time. And it was just hard for me. I think, I think the biggest thing was it was like giving up. It felt like yeah. giving up and I didn't know how to do that. Cause I don't, that's naturally not yeah. my thing. I also just think a lot of it was just psychological in the moment where you're going through this thing and you want it so, so badly and you're putting your body through hell to get it. And then someone kind of jumping in and being like, ah, just let's do it another way. It's like, no, well, like I'm going to see this through. I'm going to see this through. And it's hard to just like let go of that. But I think there is a thing of getting to the point of giving up is the wrong word, but of letting go of your idea because I think for me it just was like I was holding on to it so tight and I feel like at this point you know we started to think like okay if maybe the next one doesn't work what what do we do we have to see if it would work in a surrogate and I think you were just like really open to the idea of that yeah I mean not to bring Dwayne Wade back into our podcast but you had actually shared with me I don't know what magazine it was in but an article written about Gabrielle yes. Union and Dwayne Wade's experience together and I remember you telling me you were really impacted by like his quote where he said like he looked at Gabrielle and was like this is it you've like done enough like yeah. I can't see you go through this anymore and yeah. I was starting to feel those feelings like shit like we gotta kind of maybe stop here if we're not yeah. gonna get any answers yes I guess it just became an idea that we started throwing around at this point. But for me, it wasn't like we were executing on it. Yeah. And we were still looking for answers, I think, um, to what our issue might be. And again, we talk about the data points, just like I'm just not intelligent enough to put all those pieces together and really figure it out. But you, around this time, you saw something on Instagram. Again, we talk about Instagram being like a savior in fertility, but on Instagram, you saw a woman who kind of opened your eyes to another issue that you thought it could be. So it's interesting. I remember sitting on the couch, probably thinking like, what the hell are we doing? Scrolling my fake Instagram. And I followed this woman for a reason because she had a very similar journey to ours. Like, remember I would tell you like, oh my God, she had another miscarriage. So similar HCG problems. Like she had um, you know, genetically normal eggs, everything was the same. And she was doing this post where she's like, this is my sixth failure. And I'm finally going to a reproductive immunologist. So just real quick about reproductive immunology. It's really interesting to me because 
some clinics and doctors, you go through a miscarriage and it's the first thing that they may offer. Like, let's check this out just to be safe. I, what are they checking when they check that? So they're checking how your immune system, like how your uterus is responding to pregnancy and is it receptive to pregnancy? And I had a friend who had just one miscarriage and she was immediately sent to get all of her immune testing done. And then other clinics don't mention it all and don't really promote it or suggest it. And it was just one of those things in the back of my mind that we have tested everything. And this was just something that I, it was like an itch where I was like, we haven't done this. Like, I really want to figure out what this could be. And so anyway, back to my Instagram post where I'm following her journey at the immune doctor. And he's like, but before we get to the immune testing, I'm looking at your images and you know, like of her uterus. And he's like, it looks like you have a residual septum. Now a septum is a piece of cartilage that will like separate your uterus kind of like. Yeah. We've talked about this on the right. podcast before. I think it's, it basically just prevents blood flow in the uterus. Right. And, and it we'll, can yeah. raise your risk for miscarriage. And so he's like, I see a residual septum. This could be your problem. And then everything clicked in my head. And I was like, oh my God. It was like, I was solving the mystery, you know, like the red pieces of yarn. I was like, oh my God wait a minute, I had a septum. So guys, to take you back, we didn't really touch on this, but when I started IVF, Dr. Beck noticed I had a septum and it's an easy thing to sort of remove. If you have one, no big deal. My first retrieval, wonderful doctor took it out. You gotta be careful. You don't wanna hit your uterine wall. So you wanna get as much out as you can, but be careful, right? So he tells this woman on Instagram that sometimes they don't get all of the septum or maybe in some weird way, scar tissue or something grows back. And then it was like, ding, ding, ding. A year and a half ago, we talked about this a few episodes ago of when I got a hysteroscopy and Dr. Orbuck was like, there is a paleness right here. And everyone thought, oh, it's because you want birth control. But remember when I was home looking at those images where I, again, like at this point, I feel like I could take up embryology. We had like one of those rooms where you could put the like x-ray things and Tara was in there like looking at all her scans. Well, I felt like I needed to, to be able to self-advocate for myself. And the only way to do that was to learn. So I remember looking at those images and thinking I saw a septum. So I pinged Dr. Beck and I was like, Dr. Beck, I got to talk to you. And I told her, I said, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think that I have a residual septum and I need you to take out those images from a year and a half ago and really stare at, really look at it. You got to tell me, do you see what I see? And so I hung up and I'm like, she for sure thinks I'm off my rocker, right? She's like, okay, I'm going to go do that, (laughs) you know? And she calls me back and she's like, Tara, I think I do see maybe a septum. See, I remember you coming to me and telling me all of this and being almost like euphoric that, oh my gosh, I saw this Instagram post and I went to Dr. Beck and I remember this imaging from a year and a half ago and thinking I might have a septum and not really pushing it. And I asked Dr. Beck and she thinks she saw a septum. So I, you know, I had this just amazing feeling that this was finally our answer. What's funny is I know we've said this before, like, ah, that's the reason why But this truly was the reason why. I mean, there was no way around this, that this septum was the reason we couldn't stay pregnant. Thanks for listening to Unexpecting the Podcast. Please subscribe, leave a review, and follow Unexpecting Pod on Instagram for info about upcoming weekly episode releases. 
And hey, DM me on Instagram if you'd like to engage about fertility. I'd love to hear your story because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. This episode has been sponsored by First Response Pregnancy. Their Comfort Check Pregnancy Kit and all other products are available for purchase in-store and online. This episode was brought to you by California Cryobank. The nation's number one sperm bank is offering my listeners a free 90-day level two subscription. Check out extended profiles, childhood photos, and more from their amazing portfolio of donors. Get started today. Visit cryobank.com and enter promo code Tara.